The views expressed on this podcast are those of the participants, not of Reuters News. Is a Chinese property developer about to spark a global financial meltdown? Welcome to The Views Room, a podcast from Reuters Breaking Views. I'm Anthony Curry, coming to you from Melbourne, down under in Australia. I'm drawing heavily this week on my Hong Kong-based colleagues, with both Jennifer Hughes and Pete Sweeney joining me to unpack the growing crisis that is China Evergrande. The property developers' fortunes have been spiralling downwards for ages, but this week the rest of the world seemed finally to wake up to it, with investors now worrying that it could be China's Lehman moment, or LTCM moment, or some other historical crisis moment. So, Jen, Pete, thanks for coming on the show. Let's jump straight in. We should probably do a quick primer for everyone. Pete, let's start with you. Very simply, how did Evergrande get to be such a big player to start with? It's important to put the whole Chinese property sector in, in context. I mean, I mean, some of the wealthiest billionaires in China, some of the wealthiest families come out of the property sector because, you know, when Beijing began liberalizing an economy, it started handing over property, which had once been controlled by the government, into private hands. I believe it was the largest transfer of public uh, real estate assets into private hands in all history. And that generated a mass amount of wealth that threw up a bunch of um, wealthy companies. Um, Evergrande is is interesting because it's the most ostentatious and kind of the most colorful one. Xu Jiayin or Hui Kaiyin, depending on how you call his name, there's two different pronunciations. He came out of Hunan, kind of an ordinary background. He started Evergrande in 1997. He proved quite adept at using leverage and financial markets to grow. And he's he's been kind of this poster child, a rather unpopular poster child at present for like the excesses and the leverage and the financial engineering that went into building some of these massive, massive companies that now contribute about a quarter of, of China's economic activity. And that that's probably conservative estimates, some say a third. But that's where he came from. You know, he's been attacked by short sellers. He's got a whole bunch of people who've been saying, you know, you're going to fail. He's going to collapse for years. Um, but it does look, you know, at long last that his number has come up. And um, yeah, so, the, what, so, so, so markets so, are so, worried about what the consequences will be. So what what was the tipping point? Where, where, did the, where did things start to go wrong? I mean, there are many points you could put it at, but I'd, I'd give it a general overview and say it was really it was just a lack of confidence. I've been in Hong Kong for nearly 10 years, and I don't remember a point when Evergrande wasn't big news for someone covering the markets and the financial sphere like me. It's very well known. It was the subject or the target of a number of short attacks in the early years. It resulted in uh, short seller Andrew Left being given a cold shoulder order, being barred from Hong Kong. Uh, yes. It's a really, really well-known company, more so than it's, even than its place in the property market would suggest. But that means that everybody knew it was heavily indebted. I think those words have gone before Evergrande in stories for at least the last five, probably 10 years. Right. And so it's just that point where the confidence has gone. If you look at the share price, you'd have to say it was early this year. After we had all the clampdown from Beijing last year on the property sector again, the three red lines, which are sort of reigning in leverage. They've done these sorts of they've done measures to clamp down on the property sector before, but these ones were harsher and they seem to be firmer. They're not easing up on them again. And I think that's what just tipped it over the edge. I mm. uh, just uh, as a, a data point here, just remembering a story that uh, that our colleague Yaren Chen wrote a few months ago. 
Evergrande was the fourth largest or the fourth most lucrative investment banking client in Asia, excluding Japan, between 2016 and 2020. So, you know, no, uh, no small borrower or issuer itself. So what about, so what's changed now? What's changed in the past few weeks? I think, you know, you put it in the context, firstly, of how it grew, how it was always in, uh, seemed to be getting attacked for one reason or another, kept on piling on the leverage, kept on going, though. Last year, issues start arising in the government about what, how they're trying to change things. Fair enough. Then the past couple of weeks, it's been in the news everywhere. I mean, you guys have been covering this for ages, right? So this is no surprise to you, but but what's been the tipping point of the past week, three weeks or month, whatever it's been? I mean, for us, like me and Jen, the story has been like this long burning thing. I mean, for me, the beginning of it starts with um, when the central bank started its massive crackdown on shadow banking, which was meant to start pulling in leverage that was flowing into property. The three red lines, you know, was was a more aggressive move. But overall, you know, the central government has been signaling it doesn't want to be held hostage to this sector, um, which has captured so much investment, you know, cannibalizes money from, from stocks and bond markets. Property prices are so high that they're starting to impinge on consumption, other forms of investment. And the problem has been that, you know, Weikaiyen and, and these other developers play very well that in the long run, property has done nothing but outperform every single other asset class in China by a wide margin. Nobody has ever lost money at it yet, really. Um, even these micro downturns and like you have these little mini bubbles in Wenzhou and Hangzhou, you wait two years, property prices are above where they used to be. So they've been trying to pull it back. What's setting it off this week is, you know, Evergrande is, is basically Beijing's commitment to really keep the pressure up. I think a lot of people expected there would be help from the Shenzhen local government. You know, there's a lot of local governments who, who need Evergrande to finish projects they pre-sold, to pay them for land they pre-sold. You know, it's a big economic driver of activity throughout China. And people have been expecting that you know, somebody's going to put something together. You know, there's got to be a package. Huarong, this, this bad bank asset manager, has been kind of getting fixed up. We've had H&A get figured out, Baoshang Bank. But like Beijing hasn't done anything for Evergrande yet. And all these things that we expected to come, that we appear to expect to come through, some IPOs for some of the subsidiaries, other things, haven't worked out. And now I think the market has basically reached this tipping point, especially overseas, where they're like, wait, this is serious. Mm. Because the whole property sector is selling off. The share prices are absolutely you know, in the dumpster. And now you have words like Lehman moment coming around, and people look at like the Chinese debt stories they've been reading, and they look at the analog in the States, and they think, oh, yeah, well, okay, Chinese property is going to blow up, mm. and we're going to discover all, these, all this exposure and it's going to be impossible price assets and there's going to be this big liquidity crisis and ah you know and that's where we're getting the yeah. reaction from flying cars deep sea robotics artificial intelligence gaming to virtual reality and much more join us as we showcase the next amazing inventions in tech search the tech podcast from Huawei time to geek out and get excited about all that's still to come I mean, it is is funny. I mean, the whole Lehman moment thing. That the thing, the only thing that makes me think it sounds like a Lehman moment is precisely what you just explained, Pete, about how other companies have been bailed out, but Evergrande so far hasn't got any help. And that's precisely what happened with Lehman Brothers, right? So, in the week week or two before it went under in two thousand and eight, the government bailed out Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, the the, the mortgage uh, big mortgage players, and then the day afterwards, it bailed out bailed out big insurer AIG, but Lehman was left alone. Everything else, though, I'm, I'm not really seeing it. I mean, we already had a massive asset and property problem in the US for the preceding 12 months before Lehman went under. Lehman was was not the start of it. It was like it was one of the 
problems caused by the by the, the fall. So I always worry about this whole sort of Lehman moment thing. It seems like others, uh, some people, I'm just looking on, on, on the web, some people like the idea, some don't. Jen, um, you also were around for, for Lehman. Um, what's your take on what kind of moment this is or isn't with Evergrande? I think the thing to remember about Lehman, I mean, the moment was shocking enough and talking to the administrators who were handling it in the weeks afterwards, the thing that surprised them was that nobody saw how shocking it would be. I think with Evergrande, given given its indebtedness, given the fact it's been a problem or the, the problem child company for a very long time, people won't have that same level of shock. Now, if I say it doesn't have the same third and fourth order effects that Lehman did, the point then I'll probably be proved wrong in a week or two, given we don't quite know what lies beneath and we're never quite sure if we've got everything. But remember with Lehman, one of the biggest problems was that people had forgotten how interconnected the financial system was. That was a key intermediary. Evergrande isn't an intermediary in the same way. It's a price taker more than it's the market maker in the middle. So the chances of finding unexpected stock stuck in Evergrande is not going to happen like happened with Lehman. 10% 10% right. of Chinalco, I think, ended up stuck in Lehman Brothers because that's who'd been holding it as, as custodian. That yeah. sort of thing won't happen. We are going to see a big effect. I think LTCM is a better comparison if we want to go somewhere because we've had we've had a series of stresses in the markets. We've had the pandemic. Uh, we've had a lot else going on. And for Chinese stocks in particular, we've had two months of just regulatory changes and crackdowns after each other. Most of them were unexpected. So people are very sensitive. I don't think it's quite Lehman. I don't think it's fully an LTCM. I don't think it's going to be the point where they pull everyone together and China somehow cracks heads together and rescues the rest of the sector. I think also the the worrying factor is the fact that we have so little markets and investors have so little trust in China at the moment, following a series of unexpected crackdowns from right. DD through the education sector, you name it. Um, the 20%, nearly a, a one-fifth of a quarter fall of the Macau gaming stocks last week, when Macau said it was looking at the licenses again. There's so little trust yeah. that you can see a massive impact in Chinese markets and on Chinese assets, Chinese equities, Chinese bonds. Do I think it has a global impact? Not to the same extent. I'm sure there are going to be some amusing stories turning up of like some trading house or some banker accidentally you know, had some huge long position somewhere, if not an Evergrande and another property developer. And I mean, there'll be that. But but yeah, it seems I mean, you know, Evergrande has been in junk forever. These bonds and, and the ways they were, they've been raising as the funding channels have been restricted. Um, you know, a lot of the banks and the big funds have de-risked and reduced their exposure. You know, that includes Chinese banks and where Evergrande has been getting its money to pay down the banks to get, you know, has been from its own supply chain. It's raised money by selling wealth management products to its employees. I feel a lot worse about their prospects for getting their money back. Those are also not channels that your average American or, or European investment bank, you know, is going to trade. So, I mean, maybe some hedge, hedges will be sad. But I mean, the risk really is is macroeconomic. I mean, w- we saw a big market reaction in New York and, and Europe, you know, on Monday, um, like a lot of asset classes moved, uh, you know, the offshore yen moved, stuff I didn't think would move appears to have reacted. Um, the fundamental risk, an ever grand moment in China, 
is a pretty big deal inside the world's second largest economy. Right. And, uh, and if you end up taking, you know, the whole property market with you, you have a fiscal crisis in local governments, depend on property sales, you've got an unemployment problem, you've got this huge economic engine that starts sputtering. And that, in the end, might trickle down into, say, consumption if you if if the government mismanages it and lets this spiral out of control and they produce, you know, a recession or something. Keeping in mind that the rest of the Chinese economy is not doing that well right now, like the consumption thing has still not come up as strongly as people had hoped. There's been the, the Delta outbreak is a risk. Country's still rocked down. It's kind of a rickety moment. Um, so if that blows up, then, you know, everybody has a problem, you know, not just the bankers. I think I'd, I'd largely agree, and I, I don't. I don't see the same kind of ability for contagion from Evergrande alone going under, or even there being a strain on the property market. It sounds from what you're saying that most of the risks are known. It's not like there are huge numbers of derivatives out there that people don't know who's holding what, like we had in the in the financial crisis, or even with LTCM when the banks didn't realise just how much each of them had lent to LTCM. And of course, we had a, even a new example this year with Archegos, a similar kind of thing. Um, there are some trickle-down effects already. Where it's not hitting too bad. So you know, the iron ore price is the most obvious one, right? It's more than halved in two or three months, as there's been a fear of, of there being less property, um, uh, the property boom coming to an end in China. And unsurprisingly, the Australian companies are suffering as a result, and to an extent, so is the, the Aussie dollar. But those seem more than manageable. So, but how how much would you how how much would you handicap, Pete? Your your thinking that you know the, the worst case scenario could be that it affects consumption and and, and leads to a recession. The long term capital management example is interesting in a couple of ways. The risk the government is running right now is that if they move in to bail out Evergrande, you know that you would have sort of a similar effect where you you create moral hazard and you end up like if man if all these people who are holding Evergrande bonds at long hauls that are you know massively discounted and they get made good, then like the attempt of the central government to to get control of the Chinese property bubble is dead for a generation. Nobody will ever take them seriously. So they have to deflate that, but they want to do it in a controlled way. Now, the upside for this is that, you know, I personally think, you know, that when you have household house prices equivalent to like 10, 17 years worth of, of your average person's income, that like the housing thing is a consumption problem. You know, it's it's a distorting element in the economy and fixing it could actually be good for trade partners. Keeping in mind that like, you know, the Chinese real estate sector is largely self-serving. You know, it makes its own cement. It imports commodities, of course, so it's an issue for, for you guys down there in Australia. But otherwise, you know, they make the faucets, they make the furniture, they make the cement, you know, they do the design. Like this is not like a big generator of import demand yeah. like other sectors are, right? For these Wall Street banks we're talking about, it crowds out, you know, when when Chinese people, your average Chinese middle class person, all their investable assets are plowed into real estate. That means mortgages, shadow bank loans to make up your 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 down payment. Like none of that plays to the strengths of like Goldman Sachs and those guys, right? They want Chinese middle class to buy onshore stocks, offshore stocks, mutual funds, you know, whatever derivatives they can get away with selling. You know, and if you actually create a controlled property crash where the property sector gets hurt. But the rest of the Chinese economy is okay. You know, there could be a huge benefit actually for trading partners that you get rid of this huge source of financial risk to everybody. And you also kind of open up, you know, you, you shake up the, the Chinese investor attitude so they don't look at property as this one way bet, mm. you know, which was kind of poisoning the, the investor mentality. But, you know, of course, if I'm wrong, <laughs> if this is an all out crash, then, then, then nobody's going to be cheering anything. 
Yeah, I mean, you're talking here about the soft landing, I suppose, which, okay, maybe not for real estate, but the idea of a managed decline in the bubble is is one that policymakers around the world would love to be able to do and very often find that, well, I don't think I can think of a great example where they have done it. Um, but yeah, maybe China's different. What then do we think foreign markets are pricing in? Is it that they're only suddenly realizing there is some kind of issue and they don't know what it is, so they're just getting worried? Is it they're thinking, ah, oh, this means that the chances of there being a deal to sort out tariffs with the US is not going to happen anytime soon? What is it that the that's causing such consternation outside of China on this. Jen, what, what do you think of that? I think yesterday it was really the market shock that we saw. I mean, the Hang Seng was a sea of red. There were stocks like um, BYD, the car maker, and Geely, which were down 7 8%. Now, I think we should bear in mind that they were thin markets yesterday, and I think the rest of the world woke up and just got a little bit scared by that. Yes, we should be looking for a macroeconomic impact from China. Uh, we should be thinking about what it's going to do to the investors who hold the stuff. As Pete's already said, we're looking more at the hedge funds on the debt side now. Amundi, the fund manager, has already come out and said it used to have something like 300 million US of exposure. Now it's got 25. I mean, that's still a painful number, but I'm sure I mean, that was bought at less than par value on the debt side. Um those are really the effects. There could be other order effects we haven't yet thought of or seen. Uh, watch out for the rest of the, well, watch out for the Asian high yield bond market, which is really the Chinese property high yield bond market plus a few other bits. So I think for other companies seeking money at, in the near future, that's going to be pretty difficult. All right. OK, well, look, guys, let's end it there. I th uh, you know, this is going to be a story that runs and runs as it has been for years, as you guys have pointed out. So, look, guys, thanks for talking through that and thanks for coming on the show. OK, that's our show for this week. We extend our gratitude, as always, to our producer, who this week is Katrina Hamlin. And thanks to you, our listeners, for tuning in. Check us out every day at breakingviews.com. Subscribe to The Views Room and our sister show, The Exchange, on Spotify, SoundCloud, Apple, or wherever else you get your podcast kicks. And please do share your opinions about our shows. Join us again next week for another edition.